0: So we're supposed to start in 120, but I'm going to take you back. I'm going to go back just a little bit. We'll be, it'll be quick. So let's go back to uh, Psalm 33. So turn there real quick, because uh, in my devotional this week, um, Thank you. Psalm 33 and Psalm 34 came up, and um, I don't know. All right. Hey, I'm back. <laughs> it, it just spoke to, my, spoke to my heart about what we're getting ready to get into. So um, Psalm 33... Verse 1, as you're trying to get there, it says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise for the upright, from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. And as we get into this next section of Psalms, we just finished 119, and we're now getting into 120. Uh, these verses kind of came to light for me. Um, it says, sing to him a new song. And this is a phrase, it's really cool. We, we see multiple times in the Psalms, and we see it all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, right? It says that they sang a new song. And, you know, why do we sing a new song? That, that's what's happening, because God continues to demonstrate his goodness and his power, to every generation, just think about that, that every generation has had new songs that are coming along because God continues to do a mighty work in people's lives. And so we, we see songs today that are a thousand years ago, they weren't singing anything like we were singing, but we're proclaiming the same things about God, right? Because God is doing something. The people of God continue to see this amazing stuff happening and we will continue to sing new songs moving out into the future because God is faithful and he's going to keep doing amazing things. So you don't even have to flip that far. Psalm 34, verse 3. Then in Psalm 34, verse 3, it says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So now we see a call to join together in singing these songs. So let us, it says, let us exalt. There's something about joining together with other believers and exalting the name of the Lord, right? It's really you know, fellow believers, it really encourages our hearts. Uh, it causes us to see God's goodness in the lives of everybody around us. God is doing something miraculous. And so when we get into Psalm 120 through 134, these are called the songs of ascent. And so these are could be called, depends on what your Bible says, but we may have songs of ascent, the gradual psalms, the 15 psalms, the songs of degrees, um, songs of steps, songs of for going up to worship or the pilgrim songs. Those were all the ones that uh, came up. So so scholars say that they sang these songs on the during the three festivals that they would go up, the three required feasts when they would head to Jerusalem. So that would be Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. They'd go to Jerusalem for around seven days and Josephus tells us that there would be two million people in Jerusalem. If you've seen Jerusalem or been around Jerusalem, not very big and you're talking two million people coming there. Two million people crowded in. Um, some people believe that these songs were also sung when the Levites would walk up the fifteen steps to the temple in Jerusalem. So you have that. You have that going on. Um, so they're compiled from different times. So they're all compiled and it was kind of made into a little hymnal of fifteen psalms, one twenty through uh, one thirty-four. And um, so you see some stuff that makes it believe that some of the things coming out of. Uh, The Babylonian captivity, we see some things in Nehemiah and Ezra's time that they believe that some of these were compiled from that time. They're all poetic, they're brief, and they tend to lend themselves to having, uh, like you could do chants. So you're walking along with a group of people, you could sing them in unison really well. And they're all, this is one of the interesting things that's cool about all these psalms. they're all filled with hope. So there's hope in the Lord. So why the songs of ascent? We talk about it all the time, but Jerusalem, higher elevation. So they're all ascending, heading up into Jerusalem. The, the whole congregation, families, we see that joined together, the big caravans. And we see it in Luke 2. Jesus gets left in Jerusalem three days later. Huge caravans of people. So we, we've seen that there. Had to be a joyous time, right? Um, these songs would be marched. And I think about, like, um, military, you know, cadence, um, I almost feel like it's, you know, we, nowadays it's put the playlist on and we're going to go, you know, like who's in charge of the radio? Well, now this is, this is sort of what was going on at this time. But we'll see the hope and the reflection of what God has done in these psalms and what the hope that they continue to have as they move forward saying God's going to continue to do some things. So it's really cool stuff. So we can look at Psalm 120. And in my Bible, it says a plea for relief from bitter foes. Verse one, in my distress, I cried to the Lord and he heard me. So just imagine singing this as you're going on the way to Jerusalem. In his distress, he didn't call his friends or complain to his family. He sought the Lord and and the Lord hears when we sincerely come before him, come to him. um, Psalmist has a proper view of God. He knows who's going to take care of him. um, Who's going to take care of these times of stress? Too many times when distress comes, you know, we tend to turn to worry. and But this psalmist starts with recalling how God had helped, and he continues to answer that. Verse 2, he says, "'Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue.'" So there were people coming against him. Um, they were slandering him, falsely accusing him. And being falsely accused is, you know, it kills us. You know, it'll happen in, in this world. Christ was most famously being falsely accused. And so we can expect it. 2 Timothy 3 says, all who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution, but we don't lash out. We turn to the Lord, just like the psalmist here. Verse 3 says, what shall be given to you? Oh, what shall be done to you, you false tongue? Sharp arrows of the warrior with coals of the broom tree. So the psalmist knows that God's going to punish um, God's going to come with these sharp arrows of judgment. And if you look up the broom tree, the broom tree was this tree that that is bush that's, whose roots made excellent charcoal. So you, the vision, the, the image here is that God's judgment, this fiery judgment is going to come upon the psalmist's enemies. And when God brings judgment, He doesn't do it half-heartedly. He's going to bring total judgment. It won't be half-hearted. He's going to bring deliverance. Verse 5 says, Woe is me! that I dwell in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. My soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. So Meshach, just to give you some... Meshach is in Central Asia. It's a Gentile nation. You have Kedar, that's in Arabia. And these were the people, the descendants of Ishmael. So we have... Both places were inhabited by barbarians, pagans, that sort of thing. And... And both considered enemies of the Jews. So the, the psalmist is saying he was dwelling among people who were ungodly. We see that. And so we dwell among the people who are ungodly in this world. If we, if you're wishing to follow after God, this is the same sort of things that are going to happen in your life. The psalmist was for peace, and yet aligning yourselves with Scripture is going to be countercultural. We're, we're not going to find peace. One of the ways the fruits of the fruit of the Spirit manifests itself is is in a desire for peace that's what happens in our lives the psalmist was for peace he was a follower of God but as much as we hear cries for peace in our culture we're not the the peace that happens in this world is temporary there's always that always that time that there's gonna be it's never really peace they just bringing things that are temporary there's always a temporary peace but ultimately it's only going to come. Peace will only come when Christ returns. And we have the Prince of Peace returning. Christ will bring the real peace, and there'll no, be no more threat of unrest. But there's a spiritual battle being, uh, being waged today. Thankfully, the gospel of Jesus Christ brings peace. Right? Christ made a way, brought words of peace um, through a call to repentance. That's what ends up happening. But he was, was despised and rejected by men and we see that Christ was for peace, and they were for war. It's the same sorts of things. So we can see why a psalm like this would be a song of ascent, right? They would be singing this as they're heading to Jerusalem. They'd be encouraged to remember that God's goodness to them Along the way, they were making a point of remembering his faithfulness. You know, as, as they're marching along, say, I want to remember God's faithfulness. They would be rejoicing as they moved away from those who were contrary to them, that, that he was living in ungodly places and he's moving towards where he's going to get to worship the Lord. And that's an encouragement for us today, that God's faithfulness to, to hear us in times when people are coming against us, when we leave the persecution of the world and join together as a group like this, you know, our love for the brethren in the church grows, and we rejoice together in the goodness of God. Those are the kinds of things that happen when we join together and come. So we get to Psalm 121. And it says, um, God, the help of those who seek him, a song of ascents. It says, I will lift my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. In verse 1 um, speaks of looking towards the hills. And this verse is often quoted uh hills won't help anybody but that's the way it begins right i was watching a documentary on the southeastern conference basketball uh, yeah southeastern conference basketball and they were talking about it. it was like started in the 1950s and um that head coach for the university of kentucky what came in there he was a high school coach and he takes over the university of kentucky and they're trying to get the team up and running and they start improving they start getting better and they started pulling all the boys from Kentucky you know all these big boys started coming to Kentucky from and he he was quoted as saying this verse he says I look unto the hills to where my help comes from he was talking about those Kentucky boys coming in well this is this is not what the psalmist is looking at he's looking towards the hills Uh, this he's looking towards the hills of Jerusalem marching towards it saying uh, he knows where his help is coming from He knows it's coming from the Lord Um, Psalm 120 was about distress but here in in Psalm 121 there's almost a feeling of where does the help come from like where where does it come from in all circumstances not just when there's distress Um, and where do we tend to look when help when we need help I was um, this will be I only have two basketball stories but the the, um, so I coach a basketball team and postseason tournament there's always this tournament that we go to and um, so you know we're trying to get I don't have that many boys on my team but I said okay the best thing for me to do is get an Airbnb about a month and a half before the tournament um, before you had to sign up for the tournament for the close-off date and I said okay I'm going to I'm gonna get the Airbnb because like I checked two days earlier and we lost the house we were gonna get into so I said I'm I'm paying for this house Kids are all going to reimburse, we talked to the parents about it, so $1,200, throw it down, they're going to all join in and pay for this house. I said, okay. So I put that down, I text the, uh, the athletic director and I say, hey, um, just so you know, I got 48 hours before I lose my money on this house, so 48 hours, put my money in, I said, could you make sure that we get into tournament? It's basically go on the website, put a few things in and pay for it. That was, that was all you had to do. So time passes. Our season ends I'm sitting there going I should have gotten an email about turning in the boys like medical forms or any of that stuff I text the AD I say hey did you ever hear from them he goes no So long story short which is already too long but I I reach out to the uh, the guy who runs the tournament and I said hey you got do you have us he goes no you're not in the system and I'm like unbelievable well at this point I'm like out like I can only get half the money back okay so he says, but there's a couple people that might be able to a couple teams might not show up. So um, if you put your stuff in, get your boys in, put all their forms in, all the stuff, he says, we'll refund you if you can't get you in. But there's a chance in a couple days we might be able to do it. And I'm going, I'm just like frustrated. And I go, okay, what whatever. So I, I reach so I reach out to my this is this is where we get to the Bible. I reach out to my um assistant coach and I say can you believe this? And I'm like, da whatever, about it all. And he goes, hmm, sounds like we need to pray. And you want to talk about something that jerked me back to reality. I went, you are absolutely right. That is what we should be doing in this moment. This, is, this wasn't the devil coming against me. This was just the regular things of life that come up. And my heart, my mind was, Mike's going to solve this thing. Well, I stopped at that moment and I said, well, Lord, that's the only way we're getting in. It's a meaningless thing, but, you know, I, it's like we had been talking about it all year, and I said, where does my heart go to when things come against me? Is it to Mike that's going to solve these problems, or is it the one that has all the power to do things? I think it's what our psalmist is saying. In every circumstance, whether it's some dumb tournament or the everyday things of life, do I think about it when I go to work? I've been doing this for years. Do I need God's help? I need God's help every day. I need God's help in everything that I do, every interaction. I was listening to a podcast this week, and a guy was talking about when he goes to the grocery store. He stands at the grocery store, and he says he stands at the door, and he says, "Lord, if there is someone you want me to talk to in this in this, would you make it evident to me when I walk in here?" Like if we're not open to the Lord, doing work in our life, are we not looking for Him for help? Because in my own power, I can do nothing, and yet. We see, where does my help come from? Verse 2. Let's go to verse 2. He says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I can just imagine the eyes of the people as they're looking towards these hills, as they're walking up to Jerusalem. They're seeing heaven. They're seeing earth. This is the way my mind thinks anyway. And it's a reflection of of what God is doing. You know, where does my help come from? Well, I see heaven. I see earth. That's that's where my help's going to come from. The God who created all things. Who else could possibly help in these situations that seem when I'm powerless? And so he's the one we turn to. He's the one we trust. And I really think that we need to, in the church, in our culture, be regularly reflecting on God as their creator because it changes us. It, it, recognizing that everything that is around us is from him. I know Tim likes to go to Colorado and he just sees the majesty of what God has done. Go down to Mingo Creek or something. You know, be out in nature. I'm telling you, devices and everything else are taking our eyes away from God. And that, that's something that I, it, it just changes the way we look at our stewardship of the land, our appreciation for what God has done for us. It puts to rest the debate that the, our culture is pushing us to say, God hasn't done anything. It's all just happening by chance. And it puts those things to rest because God is worthy. And the psalmist knew he was worthy because he was the creator who made heaven and earth. Verse 3 he says, He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The, the psalmist already mentioned that God created the heavens and the earth, and now he's, he's bringing up this other point about God, just the distinction between us and Him. God doesn't slumber. He never rests. And there's something completely um, comforting to me in knowing that when I'm asleep, God's still on... He's still on. He doesn't need rest. He doesn't need... He's up. I can't be up continuously. This is another where I'm just helpless before Him. God's active in my life even when I'm asleep. How amazing is that? So there's no limitation on God. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The Lord is your keeper. In stating that He's your keeper, this, this word means He's the protector. Protecting from harm, hedging around you. Um, The same phrase speaks of a shepherd watching over his flock, uh, over a man watching his house. It talks about that in Ecclesiastes. But this is an intimate protection that God is doing. He's good. He he seeks out the good of the one he's protecting, which is different than just protecting something. He's seeking out our good. God's aware of what's coming against us, and he's, he's prepared. He's equipped. He can shield his people. That's what it's talking about. And he brings rest. Jesus says in Matthew, come to him all who labor and are heavy laden and he will give rest. So God doesn't rest. He brings rest, which is beautiful. And he uses a couple examples here uh, of the protection. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. And the right hand in scripture always speaks of strength. And But the right hand was always exposed in battle too. The shield was on the left and on the right. So now we're thinking strength and God's protecting even what we believe is our strength. He's protecting that. Um, So God is actually the protector of that. And so it's amazing. So God says in, uh, so then here in verse six, it says, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. And you can imagine these people traveling on the highway, heading to Jerusalem. Um, This statement would resonate with them, right? The the sun would, would be brutal in that area. You just have to go to the book of Jonah to see him like I think I'm going to die here. I need a plant to cover me. That's the kind of stuff that goes on. So there's that picture that God is protecting. And also in this culture, there was, a, there was another thing about how the moon brought mental illness on people. We get the word Luna, moon, and tick, uh, epileptic. These two words come together, so there, there may have been some sort of a sense that God's protecting from all of these things that, um, that come against us, whether day or night. God is with us in all circumstances. He's the keeper. He never sleeps. He's upholding. He's protecting. What a beautiful thing that is. Verse 7. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and for and ever and even forevermore. Um, this word preserve is the same word that he's been saying the whole time, as he's keeping throughout this chapter and and, in all these times. So he's he's making a point that in all the times we've got going out, coming in, God continues to preserve, protect, and keep. So he's the one that's preserving our soul. When we stay close to the Lord, he's directing our paths um, and he's preserving our way. He's not, he, you know, we'll fall into um, evil. Evil's gonna come against us, but he's never gonna let us slip. It's just an amazing promise that comes from God here in Psalm 121. So, 122. How are we doing? We're doing all right, right? We're moving along. Yeah. So, Psalm 122. This is a psalm written by David. So, we've gotten to one of David's psalms, and I love this. He says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. What a wonderful attitude to have, to come into the church, right? David was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. Is there an anticipation about coming to church? I would say this group has a, uh, anticipation about coming to church. We're here tonight. You know, you know what motivates that? That, that? That's what I think about. Um, we never want to look at coming to church as some sort of a duty that we have to do, you know. But we also don't want to come to the church for the wrong reasons, right? Um, you know, if, if you come because we have the best donuts, and then they you find a church that makes better donuts you're gone right i mean you're going to find that place or our, we have the best coffee machine or the kids have a milkshake machine over in the you know whatever it might be those types of things and and one i've heard before we have so much fun at our church if you're going for fun fun's going to die out it's it's just not going to happen no we have fun we we come and we have fun together but if that's your motivation for coming to church there's going to be problems it's really going to it's really going to be messed up so our motivation that makes us glad is who we're going to see. That should be what's going on, right? They're going to the house of the Lord. That's where they want to go. Um, it doesn't matter who's preaching, who's leading worship, how many people show up. Will all my friends be there? Um, my wife and I, at, when, we, when, we gradu- when we first got married, we moved back to Pittsburgh. And um, we had grown up in the same church for... Our whole, you know, that's where we went to school together, you know, we, you know, we got married when we were babies. Um, but we were together all the time, and we said, oh, what church are we going to go to? And we were like, oh, we'll just go back to the church we grew up in. All of our friends were there. We knew everybody. and just kind of made sense. We didn't even look around. So we came into that church, and, um, and we thought everything was cool. But what we didn't realize was that there was some internal turmoil among the people of the church. Some people were um, weren't enjoying what was going on at the church, they didn't like the the way the church was moving forward, and they happened to be all of our friends and family. Like so, we came into this thing, and and we would go out to lunch later, and we'd hear them talking about the church, and um, and we're just we'd go home after it and going, are we missing something? Like they're complaining about these things in the church, and are we missing something? It, it turned out they all ended up leaving the, they all ended up leaving the church, and Rachel and I were not strong believers and we said to ourselves, but that was a wake up call for us as, as Christians because we're like, well, why are we going to church? Was it because of our friends were here? Is that why we were going to church? And so we said, we believe we believed that the Lord was working through what was going on at the church. So our friends left and we stayed and it was something where we had to say, Lord, what's our motivation for why are we coming to the church? Is it because we're going to the house of the Lord or were we going for a social club to hang out with our friends? It's very important. And now I want you to, it, it can't be about fellowship with people, but God does use the fellowship of believers to, uh, it's, it's an amazing thing, right? God wants us to be in a place who, with people who desire the same things, of walking in obedience to the Lord. And I think one of the graces of, of God is that he brings people together who love the Lord and, and want us to... Um, be a part of that. And so being in God's presence with God's people changes everything. Um, This also speaks to my heart about preparation for coming to the church, right? Like what, what are we doing? Um, Are we singing songs of gladness? These, these songs of ascent, the Lord's been speaking to me a lot about what's my attitude coming to church? Because you can get one last fight in before you get to church. Things can be a major hassle before you get to church, or you could be, you know, maybe we all park down at Dollar General and we walk up singing the songs of ascent to the church. Would that change the out- our mindset on what exactly we're going to do? Are we going to the house of the Lord? And we join together, we say, yeah, we're going to the house of the Lord. One of the things I, I asked uh, uh, Grace to play great things because it, it feels like a song of ascent to me. It's just remembering the things that God did. Helps to get our minds right. And so I'm thinking about that. I'm like, what's my attitude? What am I? Is there some sort of sense of anticipation that God is going to speak? Do we come with a heart set on obedience and submission to what the Lord may say? Um, are we coming ready to serve our brothers and sisters in the church who show up? Are we ready and eager to be a blessing to somebody in the church who might be hurting? I, I know I fail at that. But these are the things that like... Am I prepared to walk into this church together with this group of people who love the Lord? Um, It's a lot that goes into coming to the house of the Lord, isn't there? And so, but we come because of how he has been transforming our lives. And we love him and we want to be here. So if our heart, this is is a quote I saw. It said, if our heart is set on the Lord, the journey is filled with joy, right? So if you come, your heart's going to be filled with joy if you know who you're coming to see. Verse 2 says, our feet have been standing within, within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a, as a city that is compact together, where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. So the small city of Jerusalem was built so that in it, the people could come and give thanks to God. Uh, the Lord had told the people that he's going to, make a central place where they would come and worship. That was going to be Jerusalem. And one huge aspect of coming together in worship is giving, th- giving Him thanks. You know, we acknowledge that God has been merciful to us through salvation. We come and give thanks. We, we acknowledge that He continues to demonstrate His love and kindness to us. We come and give thanks, right? Another reason to give thanks was because the throne of judgment was set in Jerusalem, and these were to be godly judgments. Godly leaders should be making godly judgments. Um, Boy, how countries would be different if we had godly leaders in leadership, right? Um, The sad thing is the leaders are voted on by the people. (laughs) And so um, if we want to see real change in this area, I know we always say about praying for our leaders. We need to be praying about the hearts of the people in our country if we want to see the leaders changed, right? Right? because they need to be uh, the ones who are, you know, God shaping the hearts of people. Verse 6 says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say, Peace be within you. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. So David's calling upon the people to be in solidarity and praying for the peace of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem means foundation of peace. So the prayer is for peace within the walls around among the tribes of Israel and international peace. Um, Praying for peace so that the place in which God is gonna be worshiped is gonna be free from turmoil, strife. That's the kind of attitude we have here. And David wanted Jerusalem to be that place, a place of peace, love, harmony, and this was a prayer it was for the common good of all, then no one would be left out from something like this. Prosperity here, I don't think is necessarily financial, although we've seen that when we pray for, you know, one of the reasons I think our country has flourished. We've always kind of backed Israel. And so um, I think some of that comes along with this, that there's prosperity in helping. But the desire is that all the brethren and their companions may be able to see and experience this peace. And David was somebody, when we think about David's life, who... Uh, could relate to a need for peace. I mean, he was constantly in this mode of trying to Have peace somewhere and when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem We're ultimately praying for Christ to return right? because we want that peace ultimate peace so Psalm 123 um, The whole point of going to the house of the Lord was to see the Lord and this psalm speaks of the idea of having our eyes fixed on God And why that's so important. So I love this. It says, Unto you I lift up my eyes, O you who dwell in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. So in the culture, you'd have a servant, may have a, a meal, people coming over, we'd have this, and the servants wouldn't talk the masters wouldn't have to say anything. They would be looking to the hand gestures. They'd be looking to the hand of the master. They may be looking at him. And so you can see the problem you'd have. If you took your eyes off the master, you wouldn't know when he wanted something done, right? And so we, we now see this, he says, as the eyes look to the hand of the master, you know, that's what's going on. So if their eyes happen to wander, they're gonna miss the signals the master is giving. And so if we get our eyes off of God. What God is doing, looking to others, we're going to be completely off track. We'll miss the signals that God is giving us. Um, we'll wonder why we're not being used. Why am I not being used? Are my eyes off the Lord? Um, but if we put our eyes on the Lord, we're going to know what He wants us to do. That's, that's the way this thing works. Keep your eyes focused on the Lord. So, we've got to stay in the Word. Um, looking at what the Lord does in His Word. Seeing how Christ interacted with people we begin to start seeing the heart of God. We we staying close to the Lord. God has saved each of us for a purpose. So we stay close to the Lord, we we see our master, we keep our eyes on him. Ephesians 2:10, you all know it. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God's going to equip, he's going to uh, instruct and guide in all these things and He wants us to do, He's he's saved us under good works, and we need to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord day in and day out. Pray about falling in love with the Word of God. We just came through Psalm 119. We fall in love with the Word of God and and His instruction. Boy, we keep our eyes focused on on who He is and what He wants us to do. Verse 3 says, Have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy on us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorn of those who are at ease with the contempt of the proud. Now the psalmist calls on his master who's, um, who he's been looking to for mercy. And there isn't much that can be done um, to deal with these issues in and of ourselves when we've got scorn and contempt coming against us. It seems even worse when he, he's talking about the, those who are proud, those are the prideful looking on us in scorn. They seem to flourish it's tough, but we, we know that the mercy of God overcomes the contempt of the proud, so we can, we can look to Him. And what, what great promises to reflect on when we're whether we're journeying to and from Jerusalem or whether we're going to and from our home. God wants us uh, to look to Him, keep our eyes set on Him. Psalm 124. This psalm testifies to the difference it makes for the Lord to be on the side of the believer, Um, This is another psalm by David. Historically, this psalm is believed to be when David faced a great army, probably the Philistines after they had defeated Saul and Jonathan and killed them both. And so now he says this, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive when their wrath was kindled against us then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream would have gone over our soul. Then the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. David repeats that first line twice, and I don't want us to pass that by, because he states it, and then he calls on all Israel to say it. Um, This wasn't just a reflection for David. He wanted them to know. This was a reflection for all Israel that they needed to think on. You know, what would it have been like if God had not been on their side. Um, you've got the chosen man uh, to be king by God, and you've got the chosen people of God. This is a king and a people that would have been easily wiped out. We see it happening all the time. The odds were always against them. Um, God was always faithful, though. And I think David's trying to draw their attention to how gracious, loving, and faithful God has been. And I think we could all look back on our lives and say, without God being on my side, where would I be? You know, where would we be without God being on our side? Um, that, that drives us to worship. That, that drives us into this mode of coming um, before the Lord and in these songs of ascent. I know uh, when I look at, back on situations in my life, um, sometimes you can, you can do these things and you'll start playing through like what ifs, you know, um, but God's done a work and brought me through a rough place. But in my mind, I still go back and reflect and go, "Oh my goodness, what would have happened? What would have happened?" Uh, a lot of times, you become obsessed with that kind of thing about the might have beens. But David's not reflecting in that manner here. He he's he is so. Um, and these are situations. And Rachel and I were talking about just you know when are situations. In verse two, it says they rose up against him. So. It's this imagery of sudden ambush, an unexpected situation, a sneak attack, something like that rising up. So it was so bad that they would have been completely wiped out. They would have been swallowed alive like an animal devouring its prey. They would have drowned by the flood, suffocated in the rising waters. This is not a good situation that David's talking about. It was a helpless situation. And Israel's history is fraught with that kind of stuff that was going on, that They were going to be completely wiped out, and yet God brings them back. David had no power in himself to combat something of this magnitude, but David's reflection on all this, look what it does in verse 6. It turns to praise. He says, Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. What a picture here! You know, David rejoices that they had not been eaten up by those who had come against them. He knows it was God who was sovereign. He says here, he had not given them up as prey. You know, he understood the sovereignty of God; that it was in God's hands. He was over all things. A fowler was somebody who hunts wild wild birds for food. It just reminds me of First Peter five eight it says, "Be sober, be vigilant." because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know, we're in this battle. We're um, in it with eternal consequences. And David says his soul has escaped. Those who put their trust in God are assured that they are never in a helpless state. So we can have confidence in God. And I, I just think this psalm here has a real, is like a real picture of the gospel. You know, we've, without Christ's work, we're helpless. You know, where, where can we go? There's no path that doesn't lead to destruction without Christ. We could start every gathering of believers when we get together. It says, if it had not been for the Lord who was on, a, you know, who was on our side, where would we be? You know, that could be like our call when we come in here to get together. So if it had not been him who stepped, in, stepped out of glory, we would have been wiped out. And here we are in this place together studying the Word of God. So let's do Psalm 125. So it's believed that this psalm was probably composed during the post-exile period of Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, Nehemiah dealt with all sorts of people who made his work in rebuilding Jerusalem difficult. And this psalm reminded him and us that the pilgrim travelers on the way to Jerusalem, that God is the rock which we can and should put our trust in. So those who trust in the Lord, verse 1, are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever as the mountains around Jerusalem. So the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth. So Mount Zion was prominent, prominent hill, which Jerusalem was established on. Uh, There were mountains all there's mountains all around Jerusalem that made the city naturally kind of secured. As the people approached, they could make that spiritual connection. They would be seeing surrounding all around him. Not only is God with his people, but he's surrounding those who trust in him. What a beautiful picture that is. There's an amazing security that comes from trusting in the Lord, but time with the Lord is not just for that moment. That's what the interesting thing is. When we spend time, there's, it's building a foundation that will allow us to stand against things. Um, there's a uh, they've been building a, um, a garage at my work for weeks and weeks. Rachel's laughing. <clears throat> they've been building this garage right outside my window, but. You know, you sit and you watch it. It's been weeks and weeks. They've been building a foundation. They build it and build it and build it. And it's been sitting there and it's waiting. It's hardening. It's it's what they've been doing. You know, we know these types of things. If you want a solid foundation, you got to take your time. You're going to have to put some time in foundation takes time. And so the foundation we're going to have in the Lord's got to take consistency. It's going to be, you know, we're going we're showing up day after day seeking the Lord's face. Um, the psalmist sees that those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. You know? When our foundation is firm in the Lord, you know, he's, he's thinking we're unshakable when, when our foundation is in the Lord. And if you struggle with your faith, if you're struggling to be obedient to the Lord, you know, how's your devotional life? How is, how is your time in His presence? Are you being with Him? How's your prayer life? I think it really speaks volume to where we are. Are we on solid ground are we spending time with the Lord? Those who are near the Lord becoming unshakable because they realize the one who they put their trust in is faithful, powerful, and bigger than any circumstance they come, they come against. And so we'll finish out here, 3 through 5. It says, For the scepter of the wicked shall not rest on the hand allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. As for such as turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. Peace be upon Israel. As long as the people sought the Lord, he promised to not allow the wickedness to reign. And if we look at the history of them going into Israel, there was much failure in that, right? They, they continued to dwell with wickedness. And when wickedness prevails, it even swayed the people into iniquity. And this was a common thread for them. So one of the primary features of the Old Testament covenant with, that God had with Israel was on Mount Sinai. There was a principle of blessing and there was a principle of cursing and for disobedience. And here the the singer simply prayed that God would fulfill the aspect of His do good to those who were seeking You, who are those who those for those who are good. He wanted to see that done. So as we as we just kind of. This is only five of the psalms, six of the psalms of the Songs of Ascent. So Tim will pick up next week. But, you know, when we see these psalms, you can see how these psalms would energize the hearts of the people as they're moving towards and they're thinking about the goodness of God, um, preparing them to be in his presence. I really want us to take that away. That like, Don't let this just be a casual thing, that when we come to the house of the Lord together, that I've been singing, there's joy in the house of the Lord at my house, just because I'm like, like that, can't get the song out of my head because I'm thinking about going to the house of the Lord, you know, so just reflecting on the God's goodness. I mean, just take time to reflect on his mercy, his faithfulness in our lives. You know, it's, it's going to change the way we approach coming to church and how we, how we gather together. Um, so just keep those things in your minds as we go out this week and, uh, just let's thank the Lord that we could get together here tonight. So Lord, we just thank you, father, that, um, we thank you for your word. We, we thank you for the, the history of, of all that was done and, Lord, what you continue to do, how you uh, just create a new song in our hearts and you're just calling us because you know that the greatest joy is in your presence, that keeping our eyes on you is, is what you want for us and it's where we're going to see the greatest joy in our lives. Just thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ who came out tonight and just wanted to know your word and just had a desire to uh, to know you and draw close to you tonight, Lord. So I just pray that you'll bless our time, bless our time as we converse and uh, bless us as we go out, God. May we just uh, be uh, just looking unto you this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.